welcome into a brand new Times Leader Sports Report. Joining me this week on the podcast, the usual cast and crew, John Erzark, Derek Lavars, Tom Vineski, if he is in the office at the same time as me on Thursday. Joe Soprano won't be here for closing thoughts, probably not, uh, which will be a loss. We won't have closing thoughts this week. As you can tell, we are currently recording this part of the podcast on Wednesday, the intro, so the uh Final details haven't really been etched in stone yet for the remainder of the podcast. So we're going by the seat of our pantsers. Uh, yeah, we we weren't able to do our after dark, dark pro bono no podcast podcast no. on Friday night. Uh, you were up in Delaware Valley. I was up in Valley View, and uh, you kept going. Like you, going. <laughs> you, you hit Delaware Valley. And you kept going north yep. after the game. So, <laughs> so uh, and I I came. I went uh, after my game. I and went home to write my story because it's easier than coming all the way in here. Right. So nobody was here to do it. No. So we had crickets. Are we having one Friday, Riz? Uh, we might have one Friday. We'll see what happens. Right. Um, the, well, I was going to say, before we get going, the big thing is we, we do have the great Paul Sokoloski on the podcast. Yes, he will on. be doing the uh, some information on the two teams going to the state field hockey championships, Wyoming Valley West and Wyoming Seminary. But let's talk about Friday night. First of all, the weather. How was the weather up in Delaware Valley? Let's just say, by a series of unfortunate events, I got to my game later than planned. I planned to be there 45 minutes in advance. Things happened. Mm -hmm. I was hoping to get a press box spot. Did not. Stood on the sidelines. Body-wise, I was warm. You know, chest, legs, arms. My fingers were freezing. I was wearing gloves, too. But it was just the fact that I'm holding a clipboard in one hand, holding my pencil in the other. And I'm constantly football. Football as a sports writer at the high school level is the toughest sport to cover. It is probably the toughest sport to cover at all. Oh yeah, at all levels. High school football is the toughest sport to cover. Yeah, because there's no instant. There's no video replay. There's no live stats for you. You're doing it all, and it's constantly going. And there's no TV breaks. And even if a game is on TV, they're they're not stopping for commercials. So you keep going, and you hope, you pray to God that you don't miss anything. Yeah, well, we, so because of that, my fingers froze. Yeah, and uh, my fingers were all right, thanks to uh, the wife of Valley View coach, George Hoanitz, who gave me a couple of those chemical hand warmers. I had them, but I realized they expired in 2012. <laughs> they were solid as a rock. And I was up in the press box before the game, and his wife came up there, and we started talking. I told her, and she... Well, first she had foot warmers she was going to give me, and then she said, "Oh, I got hand warmers, those little chemical ones." And actually, it wasn't bad because she put one in my, I put one in my left glove. I didn't even have one in my, my right glove on. I just had it in my hand, and would curl my fingers in it between plays just mm-hmm. to put some heat in it. Uh, the men's room was quite popular at halftime. <laughs> my phone, if if it was following me on Twitter, my phone died right before the second half, or first half ended because it was so cold. Yeah, yeah, I, I was having the same problem. I, had, yeah. I, I it was set 19 degrees up there, and I went in the men's room at halftime. With, there were probably about five guys actually using the men's room, about 20 just sitting there <laughs> trying to get warm. And, and the battery came back on, but then right the third quarter started and went back because uh, it was 19 degrees out. But there was an ice cream truck there, which was That's amazing. Right. <laughs> 19 degrees. I don't know how much ice cream this guy was planning on selling, but I did not see one person there. So, before we, so we want to just, are we just jumping right in? We're going to start, well, Thursday there was a game. Thursday, There yep. was the District 2 
5A championship yep. between Valley West and Valley West Wall Pack. Pack. Valley West won 35 to 7. Yep. Avenging a loss early in the season. I'm, I'm not really surprised because when you look at that loss, they lost 28 uh, 21 to Wall Paul Pack. Valley West turned the ball over in the red zone twice. Had a touchdown. Re- one of them re- was returned 96 yards for a touchdown. They had two to one yard advantage. They dominated the game. They just made a couple mistakes. And this game started out, Wild Paul Pack went right down the field the first drive, long touchdown pass, and then that was it. Valley West shut the door on them. And um, Valley West is playing good football. Winners are five of their last six games. Yeah. So we'll start at the top. Uh, class six, uh, Class six A championship with Friday's game. Game I was at, Delaware Valley, 31, Hazleton Area 3. It's funny, this game was a lot closer at the half. It was only... 10 to 3, and Delaware Rally actually kicked a field goal as time expired. Um, on a play, and I, I even mentioned this in my story, but it was very interesting how it how it went played out because I wasn't quite certain, but I'm pretty sure Dallas, Hazleton, uh, Delaware Valley had a false start or something, they had a legal procedure penalty to stop the clock so they could kick a field goal instead of time running out. It was very weird. They were on offense. And they, they were on offense. They had an illegal procedure penalty, mm-hmm. which stopped the clock. They went back five yards and then kicked the field goal. It was yeah. very interesting. Yeah, it seems kind of odd. Yeah. But anyways, then things just sort of rolled out of control in the third quarter for Hazleton area. This running back by name of Ryan Obiso. Uh, Obisi. Obiso. Obiso. Not sure. O-B-I-S-O. Yeah, Obiso. Okay. Three touchdowns in the third quarter alone. He had four overall. They just they just couldn't stop him. Yeah, and it was a good season for Hazleton area. Seven and five after finishing three and eight last year. Uh, Mike Brennan's got the team heading in the right direction. Yeah, a lot and, of youth back for next year. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see what happens. I'm sure he can't wait to get started. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, 4A semifinals. Berwick 48 North, Pocono 14, and then Valley View 40, Coffin 7. Yeah, but... Uh, Berwick is just on such a roll. They scored, they beat Wyoming area 42-0 in the quarterfinals. And then this was a rematch of last year's championship game. And I was up at Valley View when I was in the press box. Somebody said, oh, North Park, they're going to run all over Berwick. Uh, Guess what? It didn't happen. 48-14. Big thing, though, uh, Evan Klinger, running the leading rusher for Berwick, hurt his ankle late in the second quarter, returning a punt. Uh, I talked to Coach Frank Sheftock, and... He's not optimistic he's going to play. He's getting better, but, you know, well, as we record this, they have less, he has less than 48 hours to, right. to, to get that ankle in shape. And, you know, one move and it might go, you know, bad on him again. So, uh, But Owen Shoemaker came through big time for them. Great game for him, for uh, for Berwick. Scored uh, four touchdowns, and they, uh, they were able to straighten out their running game. Any thoughts on Valley Coughlin? That was a game I was at. Right. And uh, this was a it was nineteen degrees up. <laughs> Mine was seventeen. Yeah, Valley View really impressed me. It's the first time I saw them this season. Um, Seth Vernon, one hundred ninety yards rushing. Really, he's a big kid. He's six foot three. You don't see running backs six foot three, and he just had a way of just slicing and slinking through the line, not losing any speed. Big turning point in this game was late in the fourth or. Second quarter, Coughlin is trying to run the clock out. Second down, they're supposed to run the ball. The play gets mixed up. They draw a pass, stops the clock. Third down, they go up. They're trying to run the clock out. 
Ball gets punched out, goes out of bounds, stops the clock. So they go back to punt and fourth down, and I'll tell you what, long snapping is, I've never seen it so bad. Not just Coughlin, but just throughout the Wyoming Valley Conference. It's just been terrible this year. Bad snap, uh, Hunter covers the ball at the three-yard line. Next play, Valley View scores. That sort of just changed everything. Uh, also, Coughlin lost their running back, Jake Cole, to shoulder injury in the second quarter. Coach Cyril Sinti said after the game, goes, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we score another touchdown, maybe score two, but, you know, we couldn't stop them. And that was the point. They just could not stop Valley View's running attack. And um, Valley View heads to the championship game. Before we get uh, do go up to that, uh, the talk about the 4A championship, let's uh, quickly recap the 3A championship between Scranton Prep and Lake Lehman. Scranton Prep wins this one 54-7. Yeah, I believe Lehman had a 7-0 lead in this game, and, and you could see that Prep is, like Lehman coach Jerry Gilski said, you know, there's no sense of urgency. There's no panic in that team. You know, they're down, and they score 54 points. And now they're, that's their third straight championship. They're going to play Loyal Sock, the District 4 champion, on Friday night at Williamsport High School. And uh, wish the Cavaliers luck. Yeah. All right, so we got a couple of championship games involving District 2 teams on Friday night. We'll first start out in the District 2 11, 2 11, 2 slash 11, however you like to. Well, this used to be 2 slash 4 slash 11, but since Williamsport got eliminated, now it's 2 11. 5A championship, Valley West at Whitehall. It's a 7 p.m. game. Thoughts, sirs? Whitehall can score, but they give up a lot of points. Uh, their quarterback is Ethan Parvel. Closing on 2,000 yards passing, 29 touchdown passes. Really good receiver, Des Boykin. 58 catches, almost 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. He had 76 catches last year. Mm. And you know, they, they played 14 games, so that's a heck of a lot of catches for him. Yeah. He, he's uh, been offered by Army, Buffalo, UConn. Oh, UB. Is not, what? UB. UB. Yeah. Well, we call him Buffalo around here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of a small guy, but he's very quick. And, and what Valley West, this is it's going to be a real challenge for their defense because they haven't faced an offense like this. They do a lot of read pass options. I, I watched a little bit of a tape I found online. Parvel will you know, put it to the, the stomach of the running back. He'll pull it out, throw it. He'll pitch it. He'll run it himself. So Valley West got to be really disciplined on, in this game to win it, and I think it's going to be a close game to go either way. And last but certainly not least, the game I believe you will be at, Urs. Yep. Berwick, Valley View. And this is the game, This is I've been saying all year, these two teams are going to meet for the championship, and Valley View is going to win it, and now I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, you know, uh, Burrow has to make up for the loss of Evan Klinger in the backfield if he doesn't play, but uh, Jared Marshman has come on really well for them. They're getting good play from their defense, and the, the, I think the key for Burrow in this game is first down for their defense, because Coughlin, um, three scoring drives that uh, Valley View scored on their first three scoring drive, first down 18 yards, then 21 yards, 21 yards, and set the tone for the drives right down the field. I don't know how good Chandler Fuller from Valley View could throw the ball because it was 19 degrees out. He threw five passes. They only throw about seven a game. Mm -hmm. uh, he threw a long touch or a long pass for about 35, 40 yards, but it was sort of a floater. But you, you don't know if it slipped out of his hand or not. So, but if 
Berwick could get Valley View to have to pass the ball more. That that'd be the best thing for them, best chance to win this game. Although you know Berwick could, uh, you know Valley View could run the ball and uh, Berwick could still win. I really don't know who to pick in this game. Like a few weeks ago, it's Valley View, but now Berwick is playing well. And and, and Frank Shep talked to Berwick coach that they got a really wake up call week ten when they lost to Williamsport. Sort of told them like maybe we're not as good as we are. We better you know kick it in the high right. All right. And then we have two teams left. Two in, teams uh, left in football. In football. Four overall. We're about to move forward and move on. Bringing Paul. Talk about the other two teams. Field hockey. Yep. Be right back. Welcome back to the Times Leader Sports Board. Joining me now on the podcast, Paul Sokolowski, our field hockey beat writer. Paul, your field hockey teams, those are the only ones aside from football that are left playing right now. We have two that have advanced to the state finals, but let's first talk about how they got there in the semifinals. Wyoming Valley West and Wyoming Seminary. Well, let's start with Wyoming Valley West. You know, just uh, just an amazing, amazing game. You know, they um, they, they they scored with three seconds left. You know, uh, again, it was Madison Woods. You know, the, uh, the the senior captain on that team, and uh, she just did a fabulous job uh, shutting down uh, Mackenzie Alessi, who uh, who might be the best field hockey player I've seen in my three years of covering the uh, covering the sport. And uh, Wyoming Seminary, you know, really stepped up their game, and um, you know they. They posted a two nothing win, and uh, they're believe it or not um, entering their uh, their ninth state final. So, what are we looking forward to this weekend for these two teams as they're both playing for a state final? Well, let's uh, with Valley West, um, you know where they basically had to concentrate on um, on one person against Donegal. Um, now they have to concentrate on about four or five different people who could score uh, against Villa Maria. I mean, um, you know, Villa won five nothing. Five different people scored goals in the semifinals. You know, so it's it's not just a, a one player offense. You know, or one person you can concentrate on um, that an offense runs through. They have to kind of worry about everybody. But Valley West has the defense to do it, and uh, two outstanding goalkeepers there in goal, and uh, Nikki Hartzell and. Uh, uh, Sydney Rusnak, you know, um, Nikki's a senior, um, Sydney's a sophomore, and uh, they're both so similar, you know, that, that, you know, the coaches say they, they might as well be the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, with Wyoming Seminary, um, they're in a little bit of a different situation, too, with, um, with Greenwood in the state finals. Um, Greenwood's a very good defensive team. Uh, Wyoming Seminary, um, obviously, is a very good offensive team, so it's kind of like... Um, uh, you know the speeding bullet hitting the brick wall, which uh, mm-hmm. which is going to win there. So how do these do these two teams have realistic opportunities here to win state titles and bring them back? I think I think Wyoming Seminary really does. Um, you know, Greenwood is the number three team out of District Three. Mm-hmm. They lost to the team that Wyoming Seminary just beat, and that okay. was the number one team out of District Three. But you know, for some reason, um, everybody's got a little bit of a fear of, of, of Greenwood. They've been playing so well um, lately. Greenwood is not really ranked. You know, mm-hmm. um, all the three other teams, you know, Valley West, Villa Maria, and uh, Wyoming Seminary are both, uh, are, all three of them are in the national rankings. Um, Greenwood is not, but uh, Greenwood is just a kind of a, a, a like a lurking, dangerous type of team. Mm-hmm. Um, with Valley West, um, I'd say they might have a little bit of trouble. I do not think they're going to win against Villa Maria, but I didn't think they were going to win against Donegal either. You know, right. that, that team just kind of finds ways, you know, and uh, that's kind of what you need to, uh, to have a championship program. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Derek LaVar's Penn State football. It's senior day on Saturday. 
Welcome back to the Times of Your Sports Report. Join me now as our Penn State football beat writer, Derek Lavars. Derek, Penn State finally gets back on track, beats Rutgers last weekend. Just what are your thoughts on the victory they were able to pull away after a somewhat of a slow start? Yeah, they didn't. Uh, they For the second straight year against Rutgers, they actually uh, lost the opening kickoff last year as they just fumbled away. This time it, was, it took a weird bounce uh, uh, away from Saquon Barkley, they're trying to drop it in between guys, and it's one of those things where it's sort of like guys almost for a second think that like it's a punt. It's like no, it's a live ball. You really <laughs> should jump on that. Uh, and Rutgers got uh, last year. Uh, Rutgers lost yardage and missed a field goal. This year they made they actually kicked a field goal, but never got into the end zone after that. Uh, that being said, it was six nothing after one quarter, uh, but after that, uh, Rutgers went. Until Penn State went backups in the fourth quarter without even getting a first down. I think they went seven seven straight three and outs from the second quarter on uh, after they did put together one decent drive uh, afterwards. So the defense uh, really picked things up. And, of course, it helps when uh, you know, Rutgers is just incapable of throwing the ball. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's – you know, they have some vast limitations. They've used three different quarterbacks this year uh, and the guy they were been using the last few weeks. And it had they had won three of their last four. Uh, Giovanni Rochino was the name of the quarterback, and he just not capable of throwing the ball down the field. He finished with 43 yards passing, uh, which I believe was the lowest ever uh, since Penn, by a Big Ten opponent since Penn State joined the conference back in 1993. So that's a historically bad passing game uh, for Rutgers on Saturday. On the other side of the ball, uh, you know, despite the fact that they did uh, run off 35 unanswered points there, most people were more... Uh, in Amber with the fact they still can't run the ball. They thought, and I thought too, that they'd probably be better. They'd be able to break free after playing a bunch of really good run defenses. Uh, Rutgers was down at the bottom of the conference, something like 86th in the country against the run. And they just decided, you know what, uh, yeah, we're just we're just going to tackle Saquon Barkley whether he has the ball or not. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously that led to some big losses later in the game. It led to the fact where, you know, they're both, uh, it's a, either a zone read play or a, they run a couple traditional option plays, but be the point where Trace Mixler was just keeping the ball because even before he was making a move there, the guys were just, just clearly we're just going to ignore the quarterback. We'd rather we'd, we'd rather McSorley run it on us than Barkley, and so that's part of it that leads uh, you know leads to I think you know, he had 35 yards rushing a season low, and uh, really uh, yeah really dropped them further down the Heisman race to the point now where. You know, heading into last week, I think you said, man, if he has a really strong finish there, you might be able to get back into it. Now, that's probably not going to be enough, even if he does have two huge games here against Nebraska on Saturday and at Maryland uh, Thanksgiving weekend. He's still going to need need Baker Mayfield really to fall on his face because yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the latest I saw was uh, at the beginning of this week, uh, Mayfield was a favorite 1-20 to 20 odds. So you had to bet $20 to right. win one, and Barkley was the opposite, 20-1. to 1. Uh, and it didn't it didn't help Barkley's case that uh, Mayfield had a really strong game on Saturday against one of the few, maybe the only team in the Big 12 that actually plays defense in TCU. Yeah, he had another really, really strong game there as Oklahoma is you know, on a track to uh, make the playoff there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, James Franklin uh, you know, has made no secret that you know they need to be more physical up front, uh, offensive line and tight ends. Uh, is what they're looking at there. And uh, he just said, uh, shortly before he got in here, he had his weekly radio show uh, Thursday night there and said he thinks that the the message has been received. Uh, so he says he really thinks you'll see uh, a better showing uh, on Saturday against the Cornhuskers there. So before we talk about that Nebraska game and it being senior day, 
college football rankings. Penn State moves back into the top ten, mainly due to a lot of chaos that happened sure. in the top five. Just what are your thoughts on Penn State, where they go, the grand scheme of things as far as New Year's Bowls and just bowl games and bowl season in general? Yeah, I think it reinforces the fact that they're, pro- they're going to have a very – winning these last two games uh, really – it would be stunning if they went 10-2 and two and then didn't make one of the New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, not just because they are in the top 10 and uh, they would continue to move up with, you know, especially Auburn playing Alabama mm-hmm. and, you know, Clemson and Miami playing each other. So there would be teams ahead of them that are still uh, uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin is probably going to be mm-hmm. the Big Ten title game. Uh, so, yeah, they get, they're going to move up pretty high in that case. And plus just the fact that they've always, always been a decent draw for bowl games, uh, a fact that is certainly – Taking up higher the pecking order than maybe uh, they'd otherwise deserve in some years, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I, yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how it works out there. Uh, you would just going by the odds wise, it'd be more likely to slot into one of the bowls that has two that doesn't have any direct tie-ins. That has at large with something like maybe the Cotton Bowl uh, down in uh, the Jerry Jerry Jones's Palace there uh, <laughs> in Arlington, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and they haven't played in the Cotton Bowl in a while there, but uh, you look at, you know, they could end up theoretically, any Orange Bowl, uh, Orange Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl, those are the four, four of the New Year's Six that are not in the playoff. It's the Rose and the Sugar, the semifinals this year. But you look at it, and the Orange has sort of a tie-in with the ACC, where even if they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even if the ACC champ goes to the playoff, which they likely will, uh, they'd probably still try, the other team would probably, the right. team that did either Clemson or Miami would be in the playoff, and the other one would be in the Orange Bowl, uh, you know, so they did take a Big Ten team last year in Michigan. They also they probably have their eyes up to get Notre Dame down there. They'd really like that for sure. Uh, the Pac-12 looks like they're going to be shut out of the playoff there, yep. so you would think the Pac-12 champ, since uh, the Rose Bowl is taken, the Pac-12 champ would most likely end up somehow in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, so that sort of thing there. So I think uh, you know, the Cotton Bowl would be interesting to see some projection. Just national writers just throwing things out uh, mm-hmm. there. Uh, you see them. Cotton Bowl has been a spot where they've Ended up in a couple places there. Maybe you know, maybe play a team like Georgia there, uh, or you know, they even say at Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, that, that probably wouldn't work out that way. Just with how they, you would, you know, these bowls as they sort of there's a pecking order to how they pick these at large spots, and both Penn State and Notre Dame just because of their followings and their ability to bring in money for those bowls, uh, you would think that they wouldn't, you know, they would go separate. Yes, to go to go to go separately because they'd both be. So sought after, but uh, that'll that'll definitely be interesting to watch uh, as they move in there. They w- wouldn't find out where they're going until uh, you know the first be the first Sunday in December uh, after the day after the conference championship games there. So uh, last but not least, this weekend's tap at Senior Day for the Nittany Lions hosting Nebraska. Just your thoughts on the matchup and Senior Day, maybe what it means for some of these seniors. It's it's weird. First of all, for Nebraska, just it's Penn State, uh, like twenty-six point favorite, which just seems insane for uh, you know just the history of Nebraska. But it's it just they're they look like they're thrown in the towel. That's why that's where part of that number comes from. Uh, they went up to Minnesota last week. You know, still trying to play for pride, play for bull eligibility, and they just got smoked. They have fifty-four points, uh, four hundred and nine yards rushing, including one hundred and eighty-three to the court to Minnesota's quarterback who can't throw very well. So it's sort of the fact that they're Nebraska was preparing for you know zone read plays and stuff that Penn State has the capability of mm-hmm. uh, of running uh, all week, and they still just could not stop it whatsoever. Uh, it's sort of 
that they've switched to really tells you all you need to know. They've switched to a three four this year and they still seemingly don't have it down. Uh and they have a they hired a pretty good, you know, very well regarded uh, defensive coordinator in Bob Diaco, uh, who was the head coach at UConn for a little bit. But before that, uh, he was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator uh, when they played Alabama for the championship that nice season that they had there. Uh, but the switch to the three four uh, clearly hasn't gone very well. They clearly uh, don't have it all put together even after uh, you know a full year of it, uh, pretty much here. So that's why. You know, uh, psychologically on top of it too is you know Mike Riley, the head coach, almost certainly isn't going to be there uh, after this year. They fired the athletic director who hired him midway through the season, uh, brought in uh, Washington State's athletic director. So it's widely assumed that you know, they're going to part ways with Riley after the year, uh, so he can bring in his own guy. Uh, so it's just a very strange time for uh, for Nebraska to be coming in there, and it, you know it's very different circumstances we talk about the seniors and sort of the Penn State seniors and they came into yeah they thought when they first signed up with Penn State uh you know going back to uh this would be the 2013 to 2014 signing classes for the most part you know they when they signed they had every thought that yeah maybe we'd be you know four and six in November before Thanksgiving not sure if we're gonna not be eligible uh because of sanctions at the beginning to play in the bowl games but you know whether they'd even be able to rebound uh, to get to just to six wins in their career, and so the fact that they're, you know, here looking at uh, on the verge of back-to-back double-digit win seasons uh, really speaks a lot for, for the senior class, uh, particularly all the guys they had that did not redshirt because they were so thin uh, in James Franklin's first season back in 2014. Uh, look at the defense, but in particular, Jason Cabinda, Grant Haley, Marcus Allen, Troy Apke. I mean, most of the start, and uh, yeah, I think. I can't remember if Christian Campbell redshirt or not. I don't think he did. Uh, I think, you know, he would have come in Franklin's class. So the entire starting secondary all came in at the same time as James Franklin, as did, you know, Cabinda, defensive captain. So, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting reflection period for those guys there and uh, sort of what they helped uh, Penn State accomplish the last four years. All right. So do you think, let me ask you before we yep. go to break, do you think, does this the week the running game gets back on track, considering how it went against Minnesota for the Cornhuskers? Uh, I mean, it certainly looks that way. I mean, it's, uh, James Franklin sort of stopped short of promising that tonight, like I said, on his radio yeah. show. But he said, you're going to see some progress. He thinks, uh, he said he was on Tuesday he was looking for that one guy on the line uh, to sort of step up uh, and sort of take charge and say, this is the mentality we need to have. Uh, this is sort of what we, the example we want set. Uh, we'll be looking to see if, uh, if they can, what would be a big help is if they can get Ryan Bates, the left tackle back. He's missed, uh, you know, the last two full games, uh, with an injury, an ankle injury, apparently. And, uh, the end of that Ohio state game. And that's really when they took a, the run game took mm-hmm. a nosedive even further. Uh, from where they were there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see Ryan Bates. I think there's a chance he could play on Saturday, and uh, that would go a long way into getting them back on track. All right, we take a quick break. When we come back, Tom Vineski with the outdoors and the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Welcome back to the Times Here Sports Report. Join me now is Tom Vineski, our uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins beat writer and outdoors beat writer. Tom, after a week's solace from uh, the podcast, how are you doing? Good, DJ. How are you? Doing good. So, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Your Penguins. What? What? We, what's we got? Obviously, got Penguins page coming up on Sunday, and 
Penguins are off to a very impressive start to the year. Yeah, they have a, at least one point in the last 10 games. This is a light weekend for them. They have one game only in uh, Binghamton on Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, so that's that's unique. But uh, coming up this weekend, I talked to uh, Christian Thomas, who just returned from Finland, where he's competing in the Karjala Cup with uh, the Canadian team. And it's the a what cup? Karjala it's it's European, okay. But it's a cup. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> but uh, I think the bigger goal with uh, Christian Thomas is this tournament is being used by Canada as a tryout, if you will, for the Olympic team. So Christian Thomas is in essentially trying out for the Olympic team and to for the 2018 Winter Olympics for Team Canada, and we should know. Uh, there's two more tournaments that have to take place, so I think in about two months we'll know if Christian Thomas made the Canadian Olympic team. Here's my question, and, and I'm not sure if you can answer it. I hope you can. Obviously, the NHL isn't letting players compete in the Olympics. Why is the NHL considering it's the you know the parent organization is the NHL? And are the Penguins and then as Coach Don tell you is okay with losing his player for stretches at a time? That remains to be seen. I yeah, I I don't want to speak for Donatelli, but he did say today I asked him his thoughts about it. He said I hope Christian makes it. And don't forget Donatelli was in the 88 Olympics and the 92 Olympics for Team USA. So, I don't think the organization I can't see them telling Christian Thomas, "Well, you made the Olympic team, <laughs> but we're not going to let you go." Right, you right, know? right. I I think they would let him go. Uh the reason why he's able to compete and say like uh, Sidney Crosby can't. Okay, is uh, Christian Thomas is on an AHL deal? Okay, and players that are on American Hockey League contracts okay. can compete. College players can compete. I knew, well, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. And uh, players playing overseas in Europe are eligible. So if they had a two-way contract, could they not compete though? They cannot compete because okay. it's still an NHL right. contract. Okay. So Christian Thomas is eligible, and uh, I, I think he brings an interesting dynamic to the to the team with his speed and his shot. And he has experience playing overseas before he did it in juniors and several international tournaments. So he's used to uh, playing overseas on on that big ice. So we'll see what happens. Cool. Then as we look forward to the the uh, outdoors, there's a lot going on. We had a lot starting next week with some previews this weekend, and we have the start of another season this weekend. There's a lot going on for you. Yeah, starting with this Sunday's first day of bear season, statewide bear season. I guess it's a good thing the Penguins have a quiet weekend for you. Yeah, yeah. Past years, I had to cover bear season during the day and Penguins at night, and it was a long day. But this, this year, it's just uh, bear. So it's uh, going to be a good day. It's supposed to rain. I'm thinking that will keep the harvest down. And the bear population in the state's estimated at 20,000. So it's a healthy population, and the Game Commission would like to see more bears harvested to kind of, at the very least, stabilize the population, if not reduce it in some areas. But with this rain on the first, uh, forecast for the first day, that might not happen this year. So we'll see what happens Saturday. I'm going to stop by the bear check station at the EMA building in Dallas to talk to hunters as they bring their bears in to get checked by the game commission and we'll see how things look and after that on sunday i'll have the deer season preview deer season starts november 27th 
statewide deer season. Uh, more than half a million hunters are going to be out in the woods across the state for that day. It's the beginning of the two-week season. In most areas, including here in the Northeast, it's bucks only for the first five days. Then bucks and does are legal for the, the second half of the season. And it's, it's a strong tradition here in PA. A lot of people look forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll have the, the preview. I talked to a uh, local deer farmer who kind of gave an interesting perspective on what it takes for a buck to grow a large rack set of antlers, the nutritional requirements, genetic, and age. So I talked a little bit about that. What does a local deer farmer do, if you don't mind me asking? Well, he... Raises deer, right. obviously. Right. And the uh, actually, it's it's, it's pretty. Uh, and you just let him into the wild next week. No, no, he can't. That's one thing they forbid because of the chronic wasting disease. Mm -hmm. He can't be released into the wild. But the large bucks uh, are, are sold for breeding at mm -hmm. other deer farms because they have good genetics. They want to pass on that bloodline in other deer mm -hmm. farms, and the. The, uh, a lot of times the bucks are sold to hunting preserves where okay. they're used for uh, hunting, pay, right. pay, to pay hunts. Right. Uh, you know, whether that's good or bad is, is irrelevant to what I'm looking at. Right, no, yeah, but, uh, I was just curious. But yeah, that, that's, that's primarily what they, they okay. raise them for. Sorry to throw you off your tangent. No, there. that's okay. It was a tangent. Hey, yeah, man. No, it's just your, your, your train of thought. Diatribe. Sure, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I talked to a deer farmer about that. And uh, I spoke to a forester with the Game Commission about deer hunter focus areas. These are places on game lands where the Game Commission has timbered large parcels of land. Deer are attracted to these places because of the regrowth. They like to browse mm -hmm. the, the, the saplings that are coming up. And the Game Commission wants hunters, would like to get hunters to focus on these areas as a way to keep the population lower in those areas to allow the new trees to regenerate before they get eaten by deer. Mm -hmm. So this is the third year of the program. There's several deer hunter focus areas in our region. Game lands 57 for, for one. So I talked to him about how it's working, what's new, and what the future holds for that program. And I also have some uh, local forecasts from the Game Commission on places where to go how the mass crop looks, which are acorns, beech nuts, things like that, that uh, tend to concentrate deer. And uh, just a general outlook on what hunters can expect for this coming season. All right. Well, thank you for joining a, another Times Eater Sports Report. We'll be back Friday night with John Rosar. will be back for another episode of Times Leader Sports Report After Dark. Uh, then we'll have our Thanksgiving edition next week. Uh, we'll see uh, what that entails. So thanks for joining. We'll see you next time.